digitizing the archive, recontextualizing and recreating a past, present, and future that includes you. Okay, you're listening to Grounding Decolonizing the Archive, and today we have a special guest, um, professional actor Nikolai Salcedo, all the way from Trinidad. Some of you may know him as the lead character in Hero. Our president, Kwame Nkrumah, and the people came together to unite Africa. Um, a film that's playing currently right now, um, scheduled to be playing around the entire UK. But right now, um, I think there are quite a few screenings that are booked um, for London, Peckham coming up, and the Black Cultural Archives. Incidentally, we are recording live from the Black Cultural Archives. So we're very excited to have Nikolai Salcedo. Lovely to meet you, Nikolai. <laughs> Nikolai, I'm so intrigued by your character, but before we dive into that, tell me about your flight over. What was that? Uh, uncomfortable. I had very long legs, and you know, the seats were very, very close, and you know, this guy sitting in front of me that kept reclining his seats, so it made it a little more tough. But the food was great, and so this was decent, uh, two bottles of red wine. Oh, oh yeah. I was a happy guy. <laughs> okay, great. And then you arrived here in Brixton. Yes. What's that been like? I love Brixton. I mean, since the last time I was here, Brixton was really my space to kind of hang out. You know, I find it's a very cultural space. And like I always tell people when I go to a different country, I like to go where, how should I put it? The excitement, the culture is. Yeah, where, just where the people themselves are and where you get like an actual sense of, of what exists. You know, I don't, I don't like staying in hotels. I don't like staying upscale. I like to go where it's like, you know, street level. It really? just feels a bit more like, yeah, like people can't be themselves. Lovely. And coming from a place where I from like Trinidad, where it's not a very, where you can ah. speak. Yes, you can you speak know, your mind. Just, Lovely. Yeah. Yes. So, I love Brixton. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And um, I know you've been here before. Yeah. Have you noticed any changes in Brixton? Some. I mean, uh, I came this time and I'm kind of like, you know, oh, hey, this, this place still exists. And, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same. I think the shell is the same. I've noticed, you know, slight difference, I guess, in demographics, maybe, or whatever. But, you know, well, if the shell is still there, I still feel like, you know, the same space. I mean, this is my second day, so I haven't gotten a chance to really fully acclimatize or re-acclimatize. Yes. To figure out. But I like that term that you use, safe space, because yeah. it is about finding that, that feeling that you're home. Yeah. Um, so looking at your bio, Nikolai, um, I see that you are... An astute actor, both on the cinema scene and on the theatre scene. Yeah. I would love to find a little 
find out a bit more about you doing theatre and how that came about. Hmm. Way boy. <laughs> theatre. Uh, I actually started minoring in theatre when I was in university. I was going to the University of the West Indies and started a minor. I quit. You know, I was doing a major in visual arts and started the minor and I quit because I wanted to do other things. And I spent a few years after that just, I guess, kind of like bumming around with theatre, seeing this, seeing what exists. Occasionally, every two years, I try out for a production. And in 2012, my friend Tamia Hearn, I met her, she was working with the Trinidad Theatre Workshop. And they were building an in-house acting company. And she looked at me and said, hey dude, I think you should, you should think about becoming an actor, you know, come and join my company. And I was like, nah, man, that's not my scene. And she said, no, no, seriously, come and try out for it. So I went and I got in. Yeah, that was it. You know, the first production we actually did was William Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. Uh, we just kind of did it with a twist where uh, we each were playing two characters. Yes. So I was playing Duke Theseus and Lord of the Rings. Okay. And the way we did it is that the human characters, like Duke Theseus and all the other humans, they were just normal and human. But then when we switched over to the fairies, yes, the fairy world, kind of, yeah. um, we approached it as if it was a juve-like experience where we were all devils, like, you know, like devil masks yes, from yes. Carnival and everything. So that was really interesting. And then we did it with UV lights and, you know, and that was just a nice baptism into, I guess, Trinidad. Of course. Yeah, to see. Oh, that sounds quite exciting. I like the fact that you, um, within that space, you took ownership of it and you, even though it was a Shakespearean play, you gave it your Caribbean twist. Yeah, well, that's essential, I think. You know, you always have to. I, I feel as though that's something as creatives yes. have to do. Yes. You know, because it's it's a way of continuing to stamp identities and of course you know, and reclaiming to, to things too. You know, right? And do you feel that in Trinidad that you are able to access those type of opportunities a lot, where you're able to delve into theatre from a a traditional sense as opposed to a Western sense? Or do you think do you think there's a bit of a struggle there? <laughs> Alright. Can you five seconds? <laughs> um I think that generally speaking, Trinidad's theatre. I feel like sorry, let me rephrase that. I feel like Trinidad is a very theatrical space. Theatre scene there, you know, we love to dabble with things that are outside of the Caribbean space and sensibility. We love to dabble with it. Um, and perhaps that's because of the fact that we are kind of like this hodgepodge mixture of so many yes. outside influences, yes. you know, especially I would say in Trinidad. Yes. I mean, I've, I've not been to any of the other islands, so I can't speak for them, but I know especially in Trinidad, it's a very mixed up kind of space. Um, but that being said, you know, I feel like even if you look at something as simple as Trinidad's Carnival, you know, it's that's our street theater and it's it's a very easy thing to always access because we're so happy, highly theatrical in our very existence. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you could stand up 
on the streets of Port of Spain on any given day and witness a thousand different plays happening. You know, if you're a scriptwriter, it's like the perfect place to be because you can just write based on what you get people saying to each other, you know. Um, so I feel like it's it's very easy to access in that way. Yes. Yeah. Um, because um, um, tell me a little bit more. So I, 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 there are two questions jarring at me. So I know your last name is Salcedo, which has a very Spanish derivative, and that goes back to what you mentioned about Trinidad being this mixture, this vibrant mixture of different cultures. Just give me a little bit about that. Tell your audience just a little bit about that that mixture about in Trinidad and your your name. Tell them a bit about your background with that. All right. Um, I tell people all the time that Trinidad and Tobago, and I guess Trinidad especially, being the bigger of the two islands, um, it's a way crossing point for the world. You come there and you're going to find people from every possible continent that it is. Um, I guess it's like here or Toronto or any big city except it's a tiny little island in which all those people are just like crammed together and find a way to mix and mingle and you know, reproduce with each other in the mix of all that. Um, but the way that Trinidad has always been at least in recent history, is, is a place where people keep coming in. So you have all sorts of weird names and yes. you know things that you wouldn't, you could, basically you could look at somebody and, and ask them their name and they don't look anything like what the name implies it should look yes, like, yes, right? Yes. So for instance, Nikolai is a Russian name and then Sassi is a Spanish <laughs> name and, you know, and then my middle name is something else, right? And that's, that's Trinidad. So I know in my particular instance, Salcedo is a name that we got from my dad's stepdad, who was from Venezuela. Yes. Uh, he, my dad didn't know his real dad, you know. Uh, so sorry, dad, if you. <laughs> but my dad didn't know his real dad. He was adopted by this guy that came over and married my dad's mom. So all my dad's siblings are through this man named Salcedo, and he gave my dad his last name as well. But he was from Venezuela. That's so right now. Right now we're experiencing a new Venezuelan influx because of what's currently taking place in Venezuela. Yes. But so we have a lot of people who complain, just like I guess you know Trumpians who like you know immigrants come to our country and all these sorts of things. I feel like that's a a universal concern is people having too much of an influx of new people into your yeah. space. But Venezuelans have been there for so long. You know, we were once part of oh, that mainland. Yes, of course. Right? Uh, in terms of before the land bridge That's fell right. through, right? So, you know, Venezuelans have been there for so long. Chinese have been there from, you know, Indians. Africans, yes, Europeans, yes. indigenous yes. peoples, you know. Trinidad is a really, a, I guess, a nice little microcosm of, of a larger global experience of human migration, yes. whether forced or, you know, yes. willing. Windrush Time Capsule and African Tales from the Hip. Two plays, one astounding moment in time. October the 24th to October the 27th. Get your tickets early 
on decolonizingthearchive.com. Okay, well, this is very exciting because on that note, now we're going to go a little bit more into your character. And um, I'm very excited to kind of learn a lot more about you and the character. So, when you were first um, approached to be Alric Cross, had you heard of this character before? I think I probably heard his name a couple of times. Literally a couple of times. But not in any detail? Not in any detail and I didn't know anything about him. And would you say that Trinidadians on a whole possibly did not know about this particular heroic figure? Um, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I think younger people might not, not know who about it was, okay. but I think generally it's it's when I was approached about doing the film and I started, you know, that's when I started to realize how many people actually knew Because okay. he was really, really instrumental in a lot of things in developing how Caribbean law, you know, and the Caribbean Court of Justice, and you know, he was really instrumental in developing a lot of things for us. Yes. So I guess the older generation is very intimately familiar yeah. with who Ulrich Cross was. Yes. You know, I think the younger people are you know, younger people. So, what questions about culture did this film raise for you? Having, because you know, yeah, what, 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 what immediately jumped out at you in terms of culture and. Um, I don't know. I. Like, I know that Ulrich was an, an ardent lover of our culture. Steve Pan, you know, I'm not sure if he loved Carnival as well, but I know he really was into culture. But I think what affected me personally was coming face to face with certain traits that I believe to be very Trinidadian. There's a kind of inherent diplomacy about the way we approach the world. I don't know if it's because of the fact that we have been forced to be diplomatic all our lives, having so many different kinds of people around you that you can't really say who are we, yes. you know. Uh, for instance, I, I first stumbled upon this thought when I came here the first time. Yes. And I noticed, like, on one of the streets somewhere in Brixton here, there was this, this section where I just saw, like, people that look Asian, Oriental yes. Asian, right? And I was like, you know, starting to realize that's, that's interesting. You come to a big city where people don't have to be, you know, in the yes. same space, right? Yes, yes. So I can keep my Ghanaian community here, my Caribbean yes. community here, Jamaicans are here, yes. and everybody can afford that. Yes. You can afford that in a big space. Yes. In a small space, you can't. So what Trinidad has is this, you know, church, mosque, right next to yes. it. So you know how a mosque is, you know, they wake up and they have the, the what's in, Giving the call to prayer yes. out loud. Nobody cares because well, that's that's what we know, man. They get their call to prayer and all church bells ring and yes. the Hindu temple is right there and everything just is just jumping. Yes, together, Yeah. So for me, I think when I started like researching the character of it, I kind of came face to face with this, you know, diplomacy. But then there's also a boldness. Yes. Right? It was a heavy boldness to being, I think, Trinidadian and by an at-large Caribbean. Yes. Uh, 
again, we're all coming from islands in the Caribbean. You know, we're all living these very forced interactive lives. Yes. And if you look at the history of the space too, it's very much, you know, full of rebellion, full of yes. revolution. So yes. All these things kind of bubble and build and are born yes. from where we are, you know. Us being, I guess, the the laboratory of slavery. Yes. So, you know, that's where that's where they practiced all of their slavery, slave making techniques and then exported that to the US and other parts of, of the world. But that's what I kind of came face to face with in studying the character culturally, what it means to be Trinidadian. So I came here the first time, for instance, in 2014. Yes. And, you know, I I was a very shy person, and I'm still a very shy person, but I had to learn this guy. Yes. And in, in learning him, I kind of, you know, had to come out of my shell a bit and understand how to talk to people and, you know, smile with people sometimes. And, yes. you know, those things kind of made me realize that what Ulrich and all of his friends were doing and living, especially in a time like the Windrush generation. Yes. When you're facing That's right, all of those obstacles head on, right, yes. in a society, I mean, I know we still have them. Yes. But they're not as blatant. Yes. Right. Yes. Like I'm here now, and I'm, you know, a white guy, and I watch me and be like, hey man, what up? Yes. Hello. What up? Yes. What up? You know, but they they could watch me now and do that. Yes. And in general, that's the the, the response I'm gonna get. But back then. You know, like when I think about Oliver, I think that was a very, very glaring reality for me to really consider and face is, is what does one do when one faces that and how does that affect your approach to life and your culture and what you get back and well, all of us. I'm glad you've mentioned that because... Windrush Time Capsule and African Tales from the Hip. Two plays, one astounding moment in time. October the 24th to October the 27th. Get your tickets early on decolonizingthearchive.com. Ulrich Cross was intrinsically, it, well, we see it depicted in the story. He starts off basically a loyalist to the, the, to whole, the crown. To the crown. Yeah. The whole idea of colonization, and he's a complete loyalist. Yeah. You know, and what we do find when you look at um, the trajectory of our older um, um, Caribbean men and women is that many of them do actually um, think highly of the crown because of all of the the juxtapositions that they had to face. Basically, that was a dream to become just as as valued as as the crown would have you. That's their reality. That's their reality. To only then see him then move away to that, to an opposition of that, and become this revolutionary hero. I would love to find out from you, when you had to research him, how was that with you? How did, how did you handle that that change over? How, were you siding with some of his views? Were, were, you, you know, were you like, oh, Alaric, no, I'm not sure about this. What was that like? Um, <laughs> love your questions. <laughs> um, I found, like I grew up, I grew up with my grandfather, you know, well, my mom, and my grandfather kind of semi-raised me. And he was of Ulrich's generation, you know, 
So, for instance, when I first got chosen to do the part, I asked him questions about what life was like in Belmont back then. Because he was also born in Belmont. He said he knew Ulrich's brother or whatever. And because I kind of grew up around him, as revolutionary and individual I might like to think myself, I grew up with this man telling me all the time, you know, so many things about how to keep in line. So I did not find anything strange about Albert being a loyalist or whatever. Yes. I found that it was totally in keeping with what I guess anyone born in that time period in that location would generally tend to think. Uh, at least until they reach a certain point in their life or had gained a certain amount of experience in their life. Yes. Which is what happened to him, I think. Yes. Because the thing for me, it just made a lot of things made sense, even the way he changed and the timing in which he changed. That he signed up for the war, you know, and a lot of, a lot of like, I, I, I was looking at this character and just like, you know, trying to work out the humanity of it and the, I guess, the human impetus yes. behind a lot of his decisions. I was like, all right, you sign up for war to get out of dead end Trinidad, <laughs> right? This back then, Trinidad would have been for anybody of, of color. You know, I don't yes. know what the correct term is. Yes, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but um, back then, it would have been a dead end space, you know, unless you, yes. you know, pass any an exam to be the one or two only people to to enter into this, right? Yes, into the privileged states. Right. So you sign up to die. Yes. To escape a country. Yes. You go, join the RAF, flying over Germany, almost die a couple times. Yes. Somehow make it out (laughs) of the war. A couple of years after. Yes. All your friends are gone. Yes. Right? So you thinking to yourself, man, I am, you know, I'm the guy. Yes. I'm the most decorated West Indian serviceman mm-hmm. after the second thing. Mm-hmm. I go back to Trinidad thinking to myself, I'm going to become a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I get back to Trinidad and then they tell me, no, you don't want any more lawyers here, you're making a police commissioner. Police commissioner, which is a decent job. Yes. And he's like, I don't want to be a police commissioner. I want to be, I want to be a lawyer. lawyer. So, you know, keep your job, I'm going. Trinidad is not the only place in the world. Goes back to England. Comes back to England now, and the British are basically like, no, you can't be a lawyer here because, you know, there's, there's the color. Yes. Right? Yes. And now he has to face the racism in England, being part of the Windrush generation. And it's like, but I. I, I, I was that guy for you, you know, I, I, I signed up to die in your war, that wasn't my war, you, you didn't have to come calling me, you know, we, why didn't, why would you even accept me to come and fight for you, exactly. you know, so now he has that whole conversation, yes. starting, that conversation starting within mm-hmm. himself, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he becomes a BBC producer after that. Yes, yes. But you're working for the BBC, and the BBC is, of course, promoting, you know, it's the British Broadcasting yes. Network, so it has that whole, you know, mandate yes. to fulfill. And it's when they shut him down that he actually gets approached by Pat Moore, the Pan-Africanist. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. A different conversation. Right. Yes. Go to Ghana and become a lawyer. That's that's what you want to do. You want to be a lawyer. Yes. So take Ghana, right? Yes. Um, and I think that more than anything, it's not like, in, at least from my perspective, I was like, I wondered if it wasn't so much that he had changed and become a revolutionary at that point, as much as it was more just, well, this is, these are the opportunities. The universe is aligning, yes. you know, to give me what I want, but at the same time, it means me having to, I guess, readdress my yeah. opinions on who I am as a person. Right. Yes, you know? yes, so yes, my ideas. Yes. I think he, I think that's what happened for him, you know, and he went to Ghana and all, and he started processing things a little bit differently. And from my perspective, being the actor retracing those steps, yes. coming here, experiencing London for the first time, you know what it is? Yeah. You go somewhere for the first time and it's amazing, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's novelty. Yeah, it's novelty. You know? So, I mean. It's like seeing a cute baby and then having a cute baby. It's two different, it's two different things, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, I'm here in London for the first time, you know, and I'm experiencing it and I'm like, wow, is this what I would have like? Finally, in the mother country? What does this even mean? Yes. Right? Yes, yes. And then I know what happened to me is I left here to go to Ghana. And then Ghana was a total like slap in the face, yeah. And uh, the, the the thing I always tell people is that I left Trinidad, which was a country I guess created by colonialism. Yes. Came to Britain, which was enriched by colonialism. And went to Ghana, which was impoverished by. Right? Yes. Wow. Um, tell me about that. Tell your audience so, about Right, yeah. Like, and I mean, no, don't get me wrong. Ghana yes. wasn't some, you know, Backward. No, 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 no. But it was just, it was just a stark contrast coming to England, experiencing this, you know, this is what the first world is like. Lavish. This is my first experience yes. with, with the first world, quote yes. Again, I don't know what the proper terminology is. Yeah, you guys it's know, okay, man, dating. Right? It's groundings. But I come here and experience this, you know, cold weather, permanent air condition. <laughs> All these things coming from a tropical country is like, oh wow, amazing. You know, it's a different scene, things are a little bit more structured, you know. Then I go to Ghana and it's like things are not as structured. And that was just like a week of work. Especially since I walked out of the plane in Ghana and literally looked out on the horizon and it felt like I was watching a trend. Vegetation wise, people wise. Uh, even the way the people walk, even the way they express themselves, their stoops. I don't know if you guys want stoops. No, go ahead, tell us. Like a stoops. Oh, yeah, okay. Right? Like oh, stoops. Awesome. Yeah, All yeah. the time, you know, and I think that's a pretty much a, a West yeah. African thing. Yes, yeah, we kiss with teeth. Right. So, you know, they were like kissing their teeth. They were just doing these things that I felt like were. Intrinsically okay, us. This is, this is where we got a lot of research. Ah. Yeah. Penny dropped. Yeah, right? Penny dropped high. Because what happened to is, you know, even in visiting these slave castles in Elmina and Cape Coast, there was this kind of surreal experience of just, I guess, feeling as though I 
felt like for one second, you know, I think I knew what Ulrich must have thought, right? Or felt with all of us. You know, there is a kind of sobering reality that just puts you in a place almost where you realize there is a a universal, this is going to make no sense, but I'm going to say there's a universal humanity of suffering. <laughs> right? That I kind of came face to face within God. And it was just making me feel like with this, even on just this simple level, can revolutionize anybody. Even the most royalist, yes. loyalist, or whatever he was. Yes. Right? Yes. Because after dealing with all the racism, after That's dealing right. with all of that, then That's to right. come here and just experience now, okay, this is the reality of what actually happened. The embodiment. Right? And we don't know it because yes. we're coming from, from Trinidad where that's where where the entire population of our region was cleaned out. Yes. Before new population started being brought in. Brought in. Right? But you go somewhere like Ghana and what it felt like was, I mean, I felt proud about it in a way because <laughs> I felt like I was watching an empire uh, on the rebuild. If that makes any sense. Of course it makes perfect sense. You know, it was, the buildings, even just the fact that they had their own architecture, like their, yes, own, their own style of architecture, style, I mean, right? Yes, their own style of building. Yeah, like I felt like, okay, all right, now I've been taken out of a Western context. And put back into your original context. Yes, you know? yes, it, it does. I mean, I think it's brilliant that you've, you've made that, um, those cross, I would say, characterizations. And Windrush Time Capsule and African Tales from the Hip. Two plays, one astounding moment in time, October the 24th to October the 27th. Get your tickets early on decolonizingthearchive.com. Because what you've also done um, brilliantly is displayed how you yourself, the journey was with you, right. and it came across in Arik as well, yeah. but you were able to learn through Arik's eyes, in a sense, for yourself, yeah. how Arik must have felt being you know, a person who was a colonial loyalist, all of a sudden being seen where his origins would have started their story, yeah. you know, where his origins would have even started to have ideas about how they should live. And then seeing it from a sense where, here it is, you've gone and fought for a war for a group of people who've done this to your original group of people right. and taken from the land. Yeah. And that contrast, the mad contrast, yeah. where they should live. And then seeing it from a sense where, here it is, you've gone and fought for a war for a group of people who've done this to your original group of people right. and taken from the land. Yeah. And that contrast, the mad contrast, yeah. would create a, a, a would create a revolutionary in anyone, even if it's just in spirit. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I did know that Balric wasn't, you know, he wasn't he wasn't no. like an arm. No, he wasn't. And I don't even think he believed in that kind of revolution. No, I didn't hear that in For me, that was a beautiful thing. It was like Pat Moore and Ulrich were both about, I think, a revolution of the, the mind. mind. Decolonizing the mind. Yeah. Yes. You know, like, 
creating, like the fact that he even worked, they were working on a, a constitution for the United States it's, of Africa. That's right. You know, like, even things like that. From back like, then. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yes. because that's that's the important thing. That's the real You know, you, could, you yes. could pick up as much guns as you want, but if somebody else has a more powerful gun, yeah, you could you could pick up a gun. Yes. They're gonna gun you out, right? Yes. So it's yes. not about it's not about the gun. gun. That's right. You know, it's about how do you put things in place? I guess on a policy level, you know, on an institutionalized level, how do you actually flip that impact? Right? Yes. Yeah. So would you say that in regards to learning about Alaric um, Cross, that? the archives of this gentleman, they were accessible? Or did you find that you had to, to delve into to finding out the him? You more had to travel to the spaces in which he delved into, kind of have more conversations with the, with the possible um, kind of persons he would have had. Was it more an embodied um, discovery or was it more um, a discovery where you look through papers and read a plethora of books. Well, it was both, you know, like, and I wouldn't want to sell it as though I did the majority of the research. The majority of the research was actually done by Frances Yes. Right? Uh, she was the writer of the script. Script. She was the person who it was still baby. Yes. And, but it was both. There was some paper research, sure. I know for me, I was watching, she did like hours of interviews with other when he was dying in his last year, in his last couple of years, I guess. And so I never met her. I was watching interviews about him to find out information about his life. And just to observe the man, see what kind of personality he was, do such things. But even outside of doing that, a vast majority of things we found out on the road. There you go. We didn't expect to. The meeting with the people. Yeah. Right? I know. Okay. It was going to, you know, going to England and meeting people he had worked with, mm -hmm. or people he was friends with, or just like, you know, revealing things about him that, you know, were, you know, interesting yes. little tidbits. And then he went to Ghana <laughs> and he met these lawyers that were his friends and he was working with there too. Yes. You know, and they were like, oh, yes, Alric and I worked together wherever for part of you this and you know you just start to realize that more 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 because it's i mean this guy lived for 90 i think 93 years yes. at this point yes uh but if it's just a full life coupled with that even up to the point of right you know leading up to preparing to finish the film now yes you know you're still discovering new little pieces of information yes about CIA involvement or MI6, so you know, whichever secret yes. organizations and what they were doing and all these sorts of things, you know, we were just like finding out new little pieces of information, who he was talking to, who house he visited, and what happened at that house when this person got assassinated. Oh, Lord. This one was his friend, that person got mm -hmm. dropped down too. And, you know, and he started to realize that Alric was in, he was really in the thick of things, you know. Like he was, he was part of a movement that was really pushing for change, and they were, you know, I guess their lives were in a lot of danger. But as somebody put it, from somebody from that generation, was actually like, you know, nobody thought about 
almost the angel the way then because of the fact that they didn't think there was anything they, nobody thought there was a big deal about it. like at least at least for them yes. they didn't think well man this is not a big deal it's just the truth you know yes. just the truth you know? us was not seeing anything controversial <laughs> you know the laptop is black yes. <laughs> right so they were just going about it like that but meanwhile they were like eyes on them you know and we were just like in the middle of the Ghana experiences when we're finding out about a hundred different things you know and you just it blows your mind really you know to find this out while you're while you're trying to, to I guess produce the film yes of course you know, you're trying to just go through the experience and you find out these new things which kind of coloring how you're approaching what you already know you know so would you say that your access to the information was um fairly accessible because francis had done the plethora of work yeah yeah okay. Definitely. Okay. definitely okay and then like we we would also talk a lot you yes know, uh, because me and francis would have to i guess being the leader after, of course you know we would have these little power sessions where we would sit and talk and shoot ask me to go under uh, you know, close your eyes, deep breaths. Because, you know, her approach, which I have to be really grateful for, uh, her approach is far more collaborative. You know, it encourages you almost to channel the character rather than acting. You know, so it was more about close your eyes, breathe. You know, what's your name? It's not the What year were you born? How many siblings you have? Okay. And each time you're meeting for a day, and you're probably doing that process about 10 times, you know? And each time it's like, tell me about your mom. Nice. This time, tell me about So an embodiment then. I'd love yeah. Yes, yeah, so an embodiment. Francis did a lot of research and handed this to me, and I had to now internalize this and basically regurgitate it back to her yes. in my own voice. So, in a way, it was almost like, I, I remember telling somebody, it was almost like Francis wanted me, it felt like Francis wanted yes. me, sorry, I'm speak to Pearl Francis. <laughs> it felt like she wanted me to put myself back in that time period. Of course. Give myself a different name, different life experiences. Yes. Now what would you do? Go, go out there and be somebody. You know, yes, but yes. what? How would you do this? Yes. You know. Yes. What comes across? Yeah, because we can't tell, right? We can't. Yes. A lot of things that Albert would have done. That's the funny thing about him too. He, the man speaks about everything and speaks about nothing at the same time. Yes. So if you look at the interviews, for instance, you know, he would tell you a bunch of, uh, I guess, cool hard facts and yes. details, but he would not tell you how he felt. Yes. So it comes across very. He comes across very uh, not secretive, but almost very. Yeah, it's, it's not secretive because I mean he has this big smile on his face. A very charming guy. Wouldn't you say though that that's a that's a skill that I find quite a few Caribbean people. I think <laughs> it's that generation. I think it's that generation. I think it's that generation because I have met a few that I've interviewed. Yeah, and I'm just like I, I think I've gotten a lot of information. But then they go, you have an accident. No, no, they haven't. They haven't. Because my grandfather was the same way. You know, it's the same thing. They can speak about everything. Yes. But they don't tell you how they feel. Yeah. So 
Albert is speaking about the racism yes. in Britain with a smile Small on his face. face. Yeah. You swear the man is talking about going to a comedy show, you know. This guy died. With a big smile on his face. Yeah, you just realize that, they, you know, there's a lot going on inside of these people, you know, but they're just not letting on. And for many reasons, too. Yes. You know, they're not letting on because I think he was, at that point of these interviews, at the very least, practiced in the art of, I guess, deception somewhat. You know, you, you know to keep just, your mouth I shut. was just going to say, because coming from that whole backdrop with CIA and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Story. You just went to, you went to... And especially with all that catastrophe that, I won't say too much, that happened in the film. Right. You know, he would have had to become even more so. Yeah. You know. Uh, and, and two final questions for you. Moving forward, what message would you, um, as an actor, say that you would like to? I mean, fair enough. You don't really have a, a, a you don't really have a power in terms of what message comes across in the film because it's a character role that you had to play. But if you were to have a message that you would have wanted, <laughs> that you would have wanted the future self. To, <laughs> uh-huh. to um to send to um you know young Africans and Caribbean persons and I guess a message also to the elders who are still alive. What message would that be in terms of um culture and you know you doing this part because I feel this part must have been with, with the fact that you went through all of that. You traveled through three different settings in terms of countries you know and had to to delve into a man that basically believe it or not is was playing a pivotal role in the politics that we know now as pan-african history a pivotal role this man he was there when all of it happened when all of it declined when the assassinations were going down he was playing that pivotal role so you as an actor being honored to have embodied that archive and to bring it into into fruition. What would you say to the future self as a message having learned from that experience of our course? Um think of it. I don't know. I think the only message I've ever felt with this film. It's time for it's time for African peoples to come together and be bigger than themselves. Um, be bigger than ourselves. Because that's what American Party wants these people to do. Being bigger than themselves and their own, <coughs> their own petty concerns. You know, they had a vision for a future in which African people can be black people, again, whatever terminologies, you know, everybody has own terminologies for these things, but I think that that's something that is sorely missing. It's funny. Because I think that from the moment African peoples actually lock that as a general thing, I mean, you'll always have the exceptions. But right now, that's the exception, right? 
And I feel like once, as a mass, we start doing that, then there's actually no telling what we could actually be achieving, you know, economically and spiritually, emotionally, you know, healing families, healing, healing our societies and our communities. That's, that's a very important thing uh, because that's how we get more others. You know, that's how we get more children who can stabilize as they grow, stabilize their minds as they grow and become equal and highly productive members of society. Yeah. That's a beautiful answer. I think that's, that's brilliant. And um, I, I, considering that we're doing theatre, um, a good question to put up to all the festivals out there. So how long have you been in England? Uh, two and a half months. This is great. Uh, two months. So, would you be up for doing a theatre, um, a talk to a bunch of other theatre actors? Yeah, man. Okay, so yeah. you heard it first on <laughs> the DTA Groundings radio show that we are going to have Nikolai Salcedo doing an actor's masterclass. Oh, yeah, <laughs> with African tales from the hip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So we are honored, aren't we? Aren't we? <laughs> Nicola, thank you. It's been wonderful speaking to you. We could go on for hours. <laughs> but you know, it's going to continue because we're going to meet with Francis and have another side of the, the conversation. And it, this is great. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> really, I'm actually very honored to be able to have this conversation. And I'm honored you came. I, I love your, con your questions. <laughs> your questions are like your, your, your actual like concepts behind your questions. Are, it's spot on. It's very, it's, a lot of times you can get into interviews and people ask things that are, I guess, pretty standard and it kind of just feels like you just regurgitate and see the way you phrase it, it's kind of encouraging me to... Oh, um, you, you must, because you were brilliant. Thanks, man. You... I watched you and I could see, because I work a lot with, with, with elders in the community and I just meet, and I was just like, oh my God, I can see uh, Mr. Johnson. Just the way your body, the way, you know, and then, you know, the, you know the old schoolers and the, the whole thing about being, you know, standard and, right. and how they present themselves. And and even the, the, the way they, they, they hit the jokes, right. the weight is a different type of weight. You know, you don't see that type of weight yeah. today. Yeah. You know, like you say something and they go, you mean you're going down there? And it, it's like it's playing on the, yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. But you captured that. And so, applause, applause. Thank you so much for coming in. You're listening to Groundings, Decolonizing the Archive, and we are here having a studio conversation at the Black Cultural Archives. Stay tuned.